I'm not sure what you think when you see an image like that. At first, when you look at it, you see a cute little cuddly, innocent bear. But how about when you zoom back? How about when you zoom out and you see the whole picture? How about when you look a bit further and you discover that, yes, it is. It is a teeny, tiny, cute little innocent bear. But that it's caught in a, an amazing big cage, a strong, reinforced, terrible, rusty cage. Doesn't your heart instantly sink? How about the emotions you experience? Whether you're an animal lover or not, how about the emotions that you experience in your heart? This little innocent bear was taken away from his mum. His freedom was taken away. He's no longer going to play in the forest. He's no longer going to run around. He's no longer going to explore. He's no longer going to enjoy the company of friends, brothers, sisters, other animals, his mum and dad. Instead, he now belongs to someone. Someone owns him. And who knows what that person is going to do to this poor little animal. It's awful, right? It's awful when we think these thoughts. It's awful when we think, wow, what's happening to this animal? How sad is it that his freedom, its freedom, has been taken away? Yet bizarrely, many people I speak to, even today still, have this incredible, incredible picture of God in their heads when they think about it. When they hear his name, when, they, when someone says, what is the first thing you think about when you think about God? They think about this little bear's owner, someone who's just like him. They think about a God who's oppressive, a God who sits up in heaven somewhere and rules with a mighty hand, a God who is a terrible, oppressive taskmaster and who loves just sitting there, passing around orders and watching us run around hopelessly trying to earn our way into his pleasure. Maybe you're even one of those people. Maybe, just maybe, you're even a Christian. And at times, you think these thoughts. You think God is just like that. Friends, sit down when I tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. God, the God we serve, the God of the universe, that God delights in freedom. The key theme, one of the biggest things you find as you make your way through the Bible, all the way from Genesis to the back of the book in Revelation, you discover this God has one thing in mind. Freedom from, for his people. Freedom from oppressors. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from slavery. God wants us to break free. In fact, one of the things that brings God the most joy is when he sees us, you and me, experiencing the freedom that he's won for us. I'm so pleased today that you're listening to me. I'm so pleased you're listening to me right now. Because even as I was praying, even as I was pouring over these things again, these truths from the Bible again for myself, I realized God wants to use this time, this little moment that we have together, you and me, to unlock something in your heart. God wants to unlock a truth in you once again, or perhaps even for the first time that he's got freedom in mind for you. So let me encourage you, open your heart, open your mind to him right now because he wants to do this in your life. This is the eighth message in our series titled The Joy of Being God. And today, first of all, we're going to be zooming in on how this freedom was won for us. And not only that, we're going to be spending some time looking at what this means for us as you and I journey through life together. So I want to spend some time just focusing on, I guess, one of the most famous uh, Bible stories. 
It's in the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. Uh, we're not going to read it all because there's about 15 chapters that we're going to try and just broadly cover today. But let me share a bit of background to you before we read some of it together. The Israelites, God's people, had been in Egypt for around 400 years and they'd multiplied, they'd grown in number. In fact, Exodus chapter 1 describes it like this. The people of Israel were very fruitful and increased greatly, and their numbers grew exceedingly strong. I love the language, exceedingly strong. So much so that the land was filled with them. And then this new king at the same time arrives. He's called Pharaoh, and he comes into power. He didn't care much for the relationships that had gone before him. Nothing for what happened and what was built before he came into power. And then, as he comes into power, this is his reaction. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our, our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. This new Pharaoh, he saw these Hebrews as foreigners. And because he saw them that way, their numbers were incredibly frightening to him. So he made them slaves to ensure they didn't upset the balance of power. It was an awful time for God's people. An absolutely awful time. And they began to cry out to him for deliverance. And because God's perfect and kind and generous and he's a loving father, he heard their cries and he began to work this rescue mission for them to take them to a place where they could experience the abundance of the freedom that he so much desired for them as a dad. Through the most amazing amount of events, God raised up someone called Moses to help get his people out of slavery. Now, Moses wasn't who you would expect. He lacked confidence. He had a stutter. He was full of excuses. And yet, even despite all of those things, God chose him. Even just as beautiful as the picture is of the joy that it brings God when God sees people set free, God starts with Moses. God begins this picture with him. While he's falling over his words, trying to come up with the next excuse, God gently interrupts him and says, go and lead my people and wait for it. I, the God of the universe, am going to be with you. Of course, God really wanted to get his people out of slavery. Of course, God wanted them to be out of a place of oppression and away from the hands of this nasty guy called Pharaoh but he wanted the guy leading them to that place to have experienced some elements of this freedom for himself. So Moses goes off to Pharaoh. He says to Pharaoh, you've got to let God's people go. You have to let them go so that they can be free to worship God once again. But Pharaoh's heart is hard, the Bible says. And so God had no choice. 
and he starts sending various plagues over Egypt. First, he starts with water. The, the water turns to blood. All the fish die. The whole place starts to smell awful. Then he sends frogs all over the land, flies. Horrible boils break out all over people. And then hail that ends up killing animals, destroying most of the plants. And the little bit of the plants that are left over get swept away by a plague of locusts. It's awful. Absolutely awful. And remarkably, as every plague comes and every plague goes, Pharaoh sticks to his guns. His hard heart causes him to say no every single time. It's unthinkable, the devastation, when we take a moment, that came over an entire nation because of one man's hard heart. So God decides to act one final time to ensure that his people are freed once and for all. God instructed Moses to tell his people to slaughter a one-year-old male lamb or a one-year-old male goat. These animals had to be without physical defect. And then God instructed them to not only slaughter them, but take some of the blood and stick some of it on the doorposts and on the lintels of each house where those animals would be eaten that night. This is a promise God made to them. It's something known as Passover. Let's read it together. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, this is amazing, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone Dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron to come to him. Up, leave my people, you and all the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. It's pretty extreme, isn't it? That God had to go to all of those lengths to make sure that his people are freed from slavery. Even more amazing to me, is that God was so invested in the freedom of his people that he did, that he actually went there. That's why I find it so astonishing that people look at this God, the God who would act in this way, the God who would go to all of these lengths to win freedom for his people and somehow come away thinking that he's an oppressive, horrible taskmaster. The Passover is much more than just a one-off moment in history. It's an illustration of God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. Just as the Israelites were in bondage to slavery in Egypt, without God's intervention, you and me, we're all slaves to something. Alcohol, pornography, whatever addiction it is, tradition perhaps for you, however big or small you may think it is, it's holding you hostage and it's not God's plan for your life. His desire and joy is that we walk into freedom, freedom and abundance, 
That's why it's such good news that the Passover is still very much for you and for me for today. This is John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For those of us who choose to place our hope and our trust in him, it doesn't matter how ugly, how bad, how horrible the sin is that you've committed. Because the precious blood of God's own son was spilt, because of the work of the blameless, spotless lamb of God on the cross of Calvary, you and me, we get to go free. The angel of wrath simply passes over us. It's an amazing, amazing gift. Jesus is our deliverer, and his cross and resurrection is our deliverance. You and I, we no longer have to be slaves because of that work of the cross, because of our very own Passover. And he did it to free us from bondage so that we could live in this new place of freedom. We don't have to do anything. We can't do anything to earn it. All we have to do is simply believe. If you're far away from God, if you're thinking, how do I ever make my way back to God? This is it. You don't have to do anything. Jesus, he's done it all. And he still delights, God still delights today to set people free. I want to encourage you, at the end of this message, take some time. Pray with someone. If this is you, if you need God, if you're addicted, if you're stuck, if you're a slave, make sure that today is the day that you go free. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you can go free. That's the good news. There's one last stop before God's people enter into the promised land. As they led out of Egypt, the Bible tells us that they make their way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Now, when you look at a map, you soon realize this wasn't the shortest way for them to go. And uh, that one small issue, the Red Sea was in front of them. It's a pretty big deal. Knowing that the promised land was on the other side, I think made it slightly worse. And if you know the story, of course, you'll know that they they had yet another challenge. Pharaoh, because he was angry, because he totally wasn't a man of his word, because he was a horrible, horrible man, a horrible slave driver, he sent his armies after God's people and sent them out to destroy them. So they had the sea on the one side, the promised land waiting for them, and an army on its way trying to come and kill them. And even though this moment must have been awfully distressing, It turned out to be the moment that God wanted to reinforce once again that he's got an abundance of freedom for his people. For those who place their hope and trust in him, they would experience freedom in a far, far, far greater measure. He told Moses this. He said, hold out your staff over the sea. And as Moses did, the most incredible thing happens. The sea dries up. There's dry land. The the water turns into two walls and there's a perfect passage for God's people to cross over. They walk over. The Bible says they walk over on dry land. I just think it's the most epic scene in all of history. And as they get to the other side, now they're followed by this Egyptian army. There's chariots, there's horses. These guys are, are gunning for them. They're going straight after them to try and kill them because they're under instruction from Pharaoh to take God's people out before they get into the promised land. 
And the Bible describes their chariots as being suddenly stuck. The wheels get all messed up. The horses start tripping over. And then as God's people get to the other side, with the Egyptian army still completely within the walls of the water, God says to Moses once again, hold out your staff. And as he does, the waters close over the entire army. The whole group of people completely wiped out. This must have been one of the most incredible moments of relief for God's people. I'm not even sure they fully realized that they'd entered the promised land. I just think they realized that they'd escaped. Just the claws of their taskmasters, their slave drivers, one final time. You see, at the Passover, God delivered his people from slavery. And at the Red Sea, he reinforced that freedom by taking out an entire army of their slave masters. Can you imagine what went through their emotions in that moment? Can you, can you imagine being there on the other side, being chased down, running for your life, thinking, dear God, what's going to happen? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that moment? You've just walked, by the way, you've just walked through on dry land with the waters of the sea stood up in walls next to you. Can you imagine the moment? Can you imagine their joy when they finally realized there was no longer going to be anyone chasing after them? They were, they were totally, totally free. They were fully, fully free in God and they're in the promised land ready to enjoy everything that God has for them. Can you imagine that moment? The Bible tells us they broke out in a song of deliverance. Let me read you a small snippet from that song. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you've redeemed. In your strength, you've guided them to your holy habitation. God wants to set us free. God wants to set you free. He wants to do it today. Don't miss out on the fact that that is his great desire for you today. I remember several years ago, I was in Nigeria. I was in a church service. There was about 20,000 people. And I remember sitting in one of the aisles and a man came in. He didn't walk. He dragged himself in on his bottom. It seemed to be the thing that he did everywhere he went. And it seemed to be the thing that he'd been doing for a very, very, very long time. You could see the scars on his hands. You could see his broken clothes. This man had a look of desperation like I hadn't seen in many, many years in my life. And I remember throughout the service, as the gospel was preached, as the truth about freedom was told, as the message became clear that God is a God who wants to set people free, I could see this man's heart's desire grow more and more and more to experience some of this freedom that this God is willing to give to his people. And I remember very clearly being right next to him when the preacher walked down the aisle straight towards us and quoted the words of the Apostle Peter to this man, the Apostle Peter in the book of Acts, saying, Silver or gold have I not, but what I have I give to you. And in that moment, that man, that man got up. He got up from his bottom. He stood for the first time in his life, he grabbed my arm. I, I, could, I could feel his joy. I could feel his joy. 
there's nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like feeling someone else's freedom. This is the freedom that God wants to win for you and me today. This is the freedom that God is about. I remember another time, I wasn't in the room, I was in front of my computer, I was watching the screen. It was a video clip of someone who'd been trafficked and he'd been sold into slavery. And because of the work of an amazing Christian organization, he was rescued from an unthinkable situation. I'll never forget the look in his eyes the moment he walked out of that place of slavery. I'll never forget the look in his eyes. I'll never forget his dance moves moments later when he realized he was finally free. There was something about the joy of that freedom that bubbled over. It's crucial that we don't miss how big it is that the death and resurrection of God's one and only blameless blameless son means we get to walk away absolutely free from all the guilt and the shame of our sins. But it's equally crucial that we get that this God wants us to experience in our daily lives the abundance of that freedom that he had won for us. John 8.36 says this, He whom the Son sets free, that person's free indeed. The desire of our joyful God is that we will experience so much more than we could even imagine. He wants us to sing our own songs. He wants us to experience the abundance of the promised land that he has set aside for all of us. I want to land the talk with just a helpful reminder from the Apostle Paul. It's in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It took the Israelites just three days to start grumbling after they entered the promised land. Paul is saying to you and me, he's urging you and me, he's encouraging you and me, don't do this. Don't go back to your old life. Don't go back to being a slave to sin, but stand firm in the freedom that Jesus has won for you. I guess the question is, how do we really do that? What does it really look like for us to do that day to day? I'm going to give you just a couple of practical tips. It seems obvious, but I'm just going to say it. Read the Bible. You know, don't pressure yourself. Don't try and learn the whole thing in one go. You may be very new to this. Just a little bit at a time. You may be new to the whole thing. Keep it simple. Nothing will help you stand firm like the promises in this book. Nothing on earth will help you stand firm like the Bible. And once you get into it, nothing on earth will bring you more joy. Pray. Second thing, Eugene Peterson says this. He says, prayer gets us in on what God is already doing. Make sure that you pray. Simple prayers again. The Bible says we can come to God as if we're little children. God is not after incredible fancy words. God doesn't want to be impressed by you. God's after your heart. Pray simple prayers. God wants to answer them. God wants to make himself so known to you. He wants to prove himself so abundant and so full of joy to you. And the third thing, 
practice gratitude. I found personally the easiest way to do this is to keep a journal. It helps me to celebrate. When I pray my small prayers, when I do small readings, and I write down some of the promises that I think God is giving to me, a couple days later, sometimes even later on in the same day, I realize God's already answered that prayer. It's a moment to just stand before God. It's a moment to say thank you. It's a moment to start singing my own song. I want to encourage you. Practice gratitude. I'm going to close in prayer. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're the ultimate Passover lamb. Thank you for dying in our place so that we can go free. And Father God, thank you that you take great pleasure in us. You take great pleasure in us enjoying that freedom. Holy Spirit, please help us. Please help us to make the most of that freedom which you have won for us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.